The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in exactly the right place for the next hour. Welcome. And today's topic, the buzz, is fraud. Ooh, that's a big one. And we're actually revisiting this topic with a panel I welcomed a couple of months ago in another one of our series. So let's get started. With today's sophisticated detection and prevention technology, you'd think we'd have already been able to stop the bad guys and the bad girls, I'm very PC, from stealing our money, stealing our identities, from cheating your company and from cheating the consumer. Alas, it hasn't happened yet. Why? Because the industrious cyber cyber criminals, that's who we're going to focus on, are busy right now as I'm speaking, thinking about clever new schemes to attack merchants, to attack vulnerable consumers. They're creating innocuous-looking blogs and referral websites. They've got phishing scams. They're targeting chat forums and social media, and they're infecting e-cards. So much going on. They're very, very busy. Quick comment from one of my guests today. Michael Lords at SAP notes that Fraud requires motive, opportunity, and rationalization, but he adds none of these can be proven by technology or ferreted out, I might add. So the bottom line, your organization cannot afford to not be vigilant, cannot afford to not Make yourself resistant to the risk of corporate fraud. That's where we're going to focus today. I have a panel of experts who have already been on this topic. I know they're great. They have all kinds of expertise and points of view and years and years of working in this area. And unfortunately, they're still working in this area because it is not going away. So let's get started. First up on the panelist list today is Prakash Santana. He's a director at Deloitte Financial Advisory Services, LLP. And here's today's quote from Prakash. He says, when the perverse proverbial it you can imagine the letters that are missing when the proverbial it hits the fan will you be ready because it will hit the fan it's only a question of time prakash santana thank you so much for joining me again how are you today uh, very good bonnie thank you for having me on the show Wonderful. Interesting quote. You made me almost say a bad word there, so talk to me. It's only a question of time. Is it happening right this very second? Let's get started, Prakash. Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, so the important thing here is to not ask the question, which side of the fan we will be, but to assume that someday we'll be caught standing downwind. And the key is cyber criminals are very industrious, as you pointed out. They're constantly testing the system. So if you look at current fraud trends in the organization and how organizations have reacted to them from the lens of a cyber criminal, you'll find that organizations are focused on implementing solutions that they have been exposed to so far. 
Um, so, for example, the recent account compromise that uh, happened at a, at a large merchant by sniffing cash data within a POS device, you'll mm-hmm. find that all retailers around the world are currently doubling their effort to review alerts generated by malware detection systems. What they're not, or some, some of them are not, or maybe looking at, but what they're not looking at is what would the next attack vector look like? Um, not just looking at the vulnerabilities in their system, but more importantly, being created or using some creativity in identifying what is possible within the organization. So, so you have important. to... Th- you have to think like a criminal. And in fact, I, I know later in our show we're going to talk from one or more of our guests, Prakash, the, the idea that when a scheme is successful, when the cyber criminals are able to go away with whatever it is, identities, cash, whatever, uh, they will repeat it until it becomes vulnerable for them. So the less creative a company is, the more it seems to the criminals, yeah, we got away with that one. Let's put that on our hit list. And exactly. they're going to keep on yeah, so so we're almost feeding them the lines and saying, yeah, we like this one so much, we haven't figured it out yet. Just keep doing it. Very interesting. Sounds like a vicious cycle. Prakash, thanks for kicking off the conversation. Let's turn to our second guest, welcoming back Vincent Walden. He's a partner with Ernst & Young's Fraud Investigative and Dispute Services Practice. That's a big name on your business card, Vince. And Vince's quote is, big risks require big data thinking. Welcome, Vincent. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you for the introduction and having being on the show. Wonderful. So, talk to me. Big risks require big data thinking. We've got that keyword "big data" buried in there. Talk to me. Yeah, sure. When uh, you know, when we think about the risks that companies are up against, whether it's cyber and uh, general fraud or corruption around the world, etc., um, the traditional tools that I would say accountants or even uh, business professionals have been using uh, require just a complete different way of thinking. The world does not live in spreadsheets anymore, and we need to incorporate uh, new tools and new technologies to deal with the volumes, as well as the varieties of data, both structured and unstructured, as well as the movement of data with that velocity. And, and these are some of the big data challenges that companies are facing to meet these uh, to, uh, these threats, whether it's cyber or, or, or fraud within the organization, uh, internally or externally with, uh, with, with users. So again, big data, big risks require big data thinking. Uh, there are some very interesting and fascinating tools with big data that allow mm-hmm. companies to, uh, address these risks far more effectively and, uh, with notably better results. Thank you, Vincent. You touched on another topic, not our topic today, but the world does not live by spreadsheets, I believe you said. In terms of our audience, I know we have a wide, widespread audience in over 100 countries and different industries, different sizes and maturities of companies. So are we addressing in that comment, Vincent, are we addressing the smaller companies that might still think the world revolves around XLS files? And do they need to still start thinking about big data or can they prevent fraud on a smaller scale with smaller tools? No, I would still say that they need to start thinking about big data, not necessarily perhaps the, the large-scale enterprise implementations. What we see as best practices is really start small and, and expand. Uh, start small, and you gain success throughout the organization by showing demonstrated success stories of fraud being detected or recoveries being made. And, 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 and the, oftentimes the projects or the initiatives will self-fund based on recoveries or ROI from the, from the end users uh, conducting the analysis. So I think it applies to everybody, 
but it doesn't have to be an enterprise, all you know, multi-million mm-hmm. dollar type initiative. Thank you. I just wanted to bring that up because we do have a vast audience. I appreciate that perspective. Mike Kosinog, partner in Deloitte's Audit and Enterprise Risk Services Practice, and you sent me the following quote. More, This is not a quote. It's a tagline, all in caps, more data, more opportunities. And your comment to me, Mike, was this tagline seems to cut two ways. Mike Kosinog, how are you today? Good, Bonnie. How are you doing? Thank you for so, the time. Yep. Wonderful. Thanks to have you. Glad to have you back. So where are we putting this tagline, more data, more opportunities? Are we putting it on cards? Are we putting it on the sides of, uh, of subways in New York? Where does this go? Who's going to be embracing this? No, I, you know, from, from my perspective, this ends up being kind of the paradox, but also the opportunity that exists around fraud and cyber areas, right? There's more data and there's more opportunities. There's more data collection. There's more entry points for opportunities for fraud and for, you know, and for cyber, cyber risk, uh, you know, cases. However, these days, nearly everyone engaged in fraud, you know, leaves some type of trail of digital fingerprints, some type of activity, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, this presents a big opportunity as well for companies to, to help prevent further harm. The more data we can collect, we can use to help prevent, you know, use for, you know, for fraud prevention. Um, you know, we can take advantage of new tools and technologies to harness the data, get in front of fraud, and potentially even before, it, you know, you know, before it unfolds. You know, it's a different world. Fraud analytics, I think, has been touched mm-hmm. on here with a lot of the rich data available, is a great way to get ahead of it. And again, you know, we've talked about this in the past. This is all part of an overall approach you want to have around fraud that, you know, addresses people, process technology. Also, uh, you know, a way to really address kind of being secure, being vigilant, and being resilient when it comes to fraud. Mm-hmm. Resilient, another key word in the fight against fraud. Mike, uh, question. Is it the data scientists that knew we keep hearing on many of our, our coffee break theme shows here? Mm-hmm. Is it the data scientist who's going to be the one who's going to hunt out or try to identify those digital fingerprints that are yep. embedded possibly in, in the trail, the trail of the fraudulent uh, cyber criminal? Who, who's going to find them? Yeah, it 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 uh, certainly is. We're seeing a lot of um, we we're seeing a lot of companies look for you know uh, data scientists, data analysts. That market is really increasingly you know a fight for talent in finding the right individuals who have the skill sets, really to address fraud in the forensic areas that that are required. I mean, there's cases of some of these recent breaches we see in retail that you know the tools and technology were there, but you also need the people and the process behind it. And in exactly. Some cases, I think you had, you know, that you, that you had that lacking specifically. Okay, thank you, Mike. Appreciate your being on the panel with us. Great insights. And let's turn to our SAP rep on the panel. It's Michael Lortz. He is SAP's Global Governance, Risk, and Compliance Product Marketing Team Lead. Michael sent me the following quote, the data doesn't lie. Or does it? Michael Lortz, welcome back. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. Is the data lying? Whose data is it? Our data? Is it the cyber criminals' data? What data is lying? Because I know you think it is. Well, it, it, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You know, this morning already there's been a, a strong presumption or suggestion that technology plays a key role in fraud detection and prevention. Uh, and my point really here is that you have to look beyond the data but because you could very easily be drawn to the wrong conclusion. My point really is that technology alone 
can't prove that there has been fraud. And in, in the opening of the show this morning, you, you mentioned that fraud mm-hmm. really requires the intersection of three things, motive, opportunity, and rationalization. And I'm going to say that none of these can ultimately be proven by technology. Mike just a moment ago mentioned that you have to have people, process, and technology. And I'll point out that, that really after you get some clues, some indications from technology that there may be a problem, you have to use old-fashioned investigative work to, to prove fraud. Um, and, and when you're doing that, you have to recognize that the spread between an error in a business process or the very purposeful but, but not fraudulent circumvention of, of, a, of a policy and mm-hmm. fraud is invisible to the technology. It can't understand motive. It can't understand the rationalization that was used by the individual that was engaged in these activities that may be uh, fraudulent, but then again, they may just be erroneous. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Uh, very interesting points. I want to circle back on our panel and go first to Prakash, then Vincent, then Mike and Michael. And I'm glad we don't have two of you calling yourselves both Mike or Michael, because at least we can tell you apart. I appreciate that. I want to ask you what's in your cup today, and I don't want any fraudulent answers from you. Honestly, Prakash, what are you drinking today, or what do you wish is in your cup, or what are you going to have right after you get off the air with me? Talk to me. Well, I already finished my cup, so I could perk up for the for the show. <laughs> so, so I was drinking a, an imported Arabica blend uh, and a pea berry uh, coffee. So that was that was good. Ooh, sounds very interesting, Vincent Walden. You're in New York, aren't you? Like I am. Yes, ma'am. Rainy, cloudy, going to have winds and flooding tonight. So what are you doing to prevent that? What's in your cup this morning? Boy, I think winter has a hangover because it just won't go away here, huh? No, it's miserable. So mine is not as complex as Prakresh's. I'm quite impressed. Mine is just a simple hazelnut coffee that's now actually, it's just about cold. It's down to its last uh, few ounces. Does it have a brand name or is it something you brewed in the office? You know, Flavia, I wouldn't even call a brand. It's the, it's <laughs> whatever's in the coffee, the coffee hall is uh, okay. all that great. I know what to send Vincent for Christmas. <laughs> there you go. We're going to take a, take up a, a bake sale to, to give him a coffee maker. Yeah, no Thank doubt. you, Vincent. Mike Kosanug, what are you drinking? Where are you today? I am actually in, uh, Detroit, Michigan and, uh, working out of the office and drinking black coffee. So, uh, pretty similar, uh, you know, just straight black coffee. Life is short. You need to stay awake for it. <laughs> I like that very much. Michael Lawrence, you have a good story for me? What are you drinking? Where are you today, Michael? I am, I am in Atlanta, Georgia, in the home office, and I have, uh, as I do most days, uh, brewed up a, a nice little pot of uh, stash Earl Grey tea, and I've got just a, a little bit of honey in that. Oh, very nice. Earl Grey with honey. That sounds very, very charming. Uh, what's the weather down there in Atlanta? Just a quick check with you. Well, I think we got uh, what's headed your way. I, I think if we rewind a day, it's, it's what you should expect later today. It's uh, just a little bit overcast and should be clearing out. Okay. Well, they're, they're predicting heavy winds and flooding rains for us tonight. So I, I think we're getting up something moving from the west and a little bit from you. But thank you for the optimism there. Guess what? We're talking about fraud today. Our topic is fakes, frauds, and scams. Who is winning? Let's see if the software we're talking about today can help your company win against the cyber criminals. My guests today are Prakash Santana at Deloitte, Vincent Walden at Ernst & Young, Mike Kosanog also at Deloitte, and Michael Lortz at SAP. 
KCP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to us live here. It's Wednesday, April 30th. Really? Is April really over after today? Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. We're going to go on a break. Just a quick one. When we come back, it'll be time for our Marathon Roundtable. And we have a lot of information to share with you from my four guests. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is fakes, fraud, scams, who's winning? Part two, actually. And I think we're going to, by the end of the show, I'm hoping we can change that title around to fakes, fraud, scams. You can be the winner. Your company can be the winner. I'm hoping we, we get some good optimism from my guests. Let's kick off the roundtable with Prakash Santana at Deloitte Financial Advisory Services. Prakash, you sent me some notes before the show, and one statement particularly stood out. I think it's a good way to start the roundtable. You said, great advice, look at your organization from the lens of a cyber criminal. Organizations are only implementing solutions they have been exposed to so far. Good provocative opener. Prakash, why don't you start us off, please? Um, Sure, sure. So, I mean, I like to say, uh, jokingly, I normally say this, it's not just America, but cyber criminals got talent, too, and they're very creative. So um, so let's look at uh, a post-mortem of how cyber criminals, or in general, anybody, any fraud organization would attack an organization. Um, mm-hmm. they, they usually start testing out methodologies months ahead of the attack, and they te- test out their strategies piecemeal across many organizations, um, while the actual organization that, the, that they're planning to attack may not be involved in their test ones. So uh, companies have to be aware that just because they saw an organization being hit by a, 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 a cyber criminal attack or if they hear about a breach of some sort, and they shouldn't be complacent thinking it's not them and so therefore they're fine. They should go and investigate and understand the type of breach that happened and come, come into the, and, invest, and evaluate whether such a thing could happen within their organization. It's extremely important that they understand that any breach and every breach, breach, large or small, 
is uh, should be tested out within their organization to ensure that that it would not happen, and if it does happen, what would the impact be? Um, Prakash, so, how many companies are doing this today? Is anybody heeding this advice you're giving us now? Is anybody aware of this approach? Uh, companies are starting to do that because they're mm-hmm. realizing, and the, the interesting thing is, most of these attacks, if you follow the type of uh, attacks that make headline news, they were treated as a black swan type event, meaning it was rare, nothing happened to them, they have all the mm-hmm. systems taken care of, it wouldn't happen. But it turns out that they're being attacked anyway. So companies are waking up to the, organizations are waking up to the fact that they can't be complacent, they need to start uh, be, doing continuous monitoring, continuous planning, uh, and, and to ensure that there's no new attack, attack vector and that they are uh, ahead of the cyber criminals. So companies are waking up to the fact that they need to be creative. And that, they need to be has- creative and, and mm-hmm. vigilant. Prakash, I have a quick question before we bring in Vincent and the others on the panel to add to this. Great, great start to our conversation. We used to call it a clipping service where a company would want to know what's going on in their industry, their sector, their part of the world, whatever they were doing. And they'd have somebody who looked through the newspapers. I, yes, I do go back to that era. And they'd look through all the popular papers and they'd actually physically cut out articles and put them in a folder to follow up on. Today, of course, we're in the cyber world, so you could look online. Should companies be so aware of these news stories, Prakash, that they would, as you say, know what's happening to other companies and focus that lens on their own. Yes, we do have that type of a structure. We do have that type of department. Gee, it could be happening to us. Let's look a little closer. Do you advise that companies should be very aware of what's in the news rather than just, ah, it was in the news, we'll get past it? What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, there's something that you mentioned about kind of in the, the, uh, the clipping um, uh, process where you, people mm-hmm. would follow their industry, their sector. Today's world, you can't just focus on your industry or sector in when it comes to fraud. You have to look across different types of organizations that are being attacked and what makes them vulnerable and try to see if that could be replicated within your organization. Because, uh, as I said earlier, the cyber criminals are testing their strategies in different places and then combining them all and attacking an institution. They're very, very, very uh, clever in the way they attack. So uh, absolutely important that they not only not only follow the news items, but I was mm-hmm. going to mention later on in the show that they have to be part of a fraud forum, an industry-wide fraud forum, or fraud ah. forums like uh, um, uh, IAFCI, International Association of Financial Crime Investigators, and there are many other fraud organizations where they could uh, w- w- work with law enforcement to understand the new trends in fraud. Thank you very much. Vince Walden, I want you to chime in, and I know that Ian Wide just did a global forensic data analytics survey of 450 executives responsible for their company's fraud programs. Why don't you follow on what Prakash talked about and bring in some statistics for us, please? Sure. You know, what, what was interesting from that survey, um, and again, we asked uh, those 450 uh, folks responsible for just fraud within the organization – um, and we picked mid to large organizations, over 100 million in sales, and half of which were over a billion. So that was kind of the sector. But 63% of them agreed that they needed to do more uh, to improve their anti-fraud procedures, including the use of integrating more forensic data analytics type procedures. But what was interesting, Bonnie, is this is where I, you know, that earlier comment on getting beyond the spreadsheets. While while most everybody had a program. And their perceived risks, of which cyber was one of them, was well aligned with their analytics program. Um, It was really shocking to think that 
the data volumes that they were currently analyzed were analyzing were still based on a statistical sample or random type sampling as opposed to 100% of the data. In fact, the survey found that 71% of those companies, over a billion dollars, those folks looking for fraud within those organizations, they were still look, working with data sets of a million records or less. I mean, so they weren't getting a, a full representative sample of, of the transactions or the interactions going on with those organizations. So what it left me to think was uh, there's still a lot of opportunity to improve or at least to reevaluate what you're currently monitoring. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Appreciate the numbers. Uh, good survey. Sure. Mike Kosanog at Deloitte, what do you think? Uh, comments, anything in your audit and enterprise risk services practice that you, you are seeing along these lines? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what Prakash talked about back around, you know, being able to think ahead of the threat actors is very important. And I think it's one of the areas we focus on a lot is trying to get ahead of what the potential next uh, opportunity or threat incident may be whether it's fraud or cyber, you know, threat actors really exploit weaknesses that are byproducts of business growth and technology innovation oftentimes. So you've got to look to see, do you have an M&A or corporate restructuring going on? Do you have new sales service or sales models? Do you have new sourcing supply chains? Is there new application and, and mobility tools that you're, you know, that you're um, introducing to your organization? Is there use of new technologies? All these things need to be considered and kind of getting ahead of the potential attacks. And then, you know, really three three key questions following on that mm-hmm. on that topic is who might attack. You need to understand who your threat actors are. Are they cyber criminals? Are they are, are they hacktivists? Are they nation states? Are they you know insiders, mm-hmm. partners? Are they competitors even? Second thing, you need to understand really what are they after, and that really gets to uh, you know to really understanding what are your key assets. And what they, you know, what are the key business risks that you need to mitigate? And then really, lastly, what are the tactics? What are the, you know, technology solutions you have? What are the opportunities that, you know, that these individuals might go after? And those are kind of the three key areas we, we oftentimes focus on and making sure we set the right risk appetite and also drive to focus on what really matters out there. Sounds like a very big job. Do companies have departments now that focus on fraud? And how big does your company need to be to say we need a fraud investigator and we need a team and we need data scientists and we need creative people out of who have great knowledge of big data and how to mine the data coming fresh out of college? We need to actually have a department of fraud detection. Is that in existence yet or is this something slowly coming where companies are faced with, yeah, we do need dedicated people? Mike, quickly, what do you think? Yeah, no, we, we've actually done some. Um, research and, and surveying, at least on the employee fraud area, and you know we're definitely seeing that you know fraud technology itself is growing faster, you know, growing faster than the regular kind of you know fraud market overall. Um, really, what we're seeing is over half the respondents are adopting or expanding their fraud management solutions and practices. So, getting to a more of a department, getting more of a organization, or at least a program. Is, mm-hmm. is key, and you're seeing a lot more of that um, with companies. So companies are clearly growing in that space, trying to add, uh, you know, people and talent. And talent's the big area too, of just making sure you get the right kind of data scientists, people that uh, you know have the skill sets around, um, you know, building rules and all these types of things that are pretty important. And Bonnie, thank you. Is, mu- yes, Bonnie, this is Vince. If I could add to that too, one yes. of the, what I think is one of the emerging best practices that we see. Um, and, and Mike, I'd, let me know if you, you agree on this, was that 
because fraud is so broadly defined, mm-hmm. uh, in, and and it's somewhat everyone's organiza- in the organization's responsibility to be aware of it. We're seeing kind of a committee approach where we're seeing members yep. from internal audit, members from compliance and finance and legal, um, and, and and particularly especially in IT because oftentimes the data sources come there. But they form committees or a group or a steering committee uh, to help address fraud-related issues in a more coordinated effort, mm-hmm. and particular groups within the organization will have certain skill sets that they can bring to the table mm-hmm. to address yep. fraud risks within from a holistic organizational approach, and hopefully that will drive some of the initiatives throughout the entire organization. So yep. it, I'd hate to have you know one person be responsible for all fraud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a big, that's a a big job. Yeah, yep. I wouldn't want that job. Let Michael Lortz, I need to bring you in. Michael Lortz, I want to hear from you on this topic. Yeah, I just, I just want to follow up on, on some of what uh, has been said here already. I think Prakash is entirely correct that, that hackers are, are very purposeful and persistent. They plan what they're doing. They test their strategies. Um, they're constantly testing the system. And it made me think of an analogy that, that I had used some time ago, um, and that's that we're really in the middle of an arms race here. Um, you asked the question, really in the title of the show, who's winning? And, and I think it's hard to say. It's not like a football or a rugby match where you can look up at a mm-hmm. scoreboard. It's, it's an ongoing and, and really, I'll say it's an escalating arms race. As soon as added defenses are deployed, the, the fraudsters find another loophole or vulnerability or weakness. Um, it could be a technical weakness or, or they could invent some new scheme that, that really combines, let's say, social engineering with a new uh, technological approach. And as soon as this happens, the, the white hat community invents new protections. And when I say white hat, I mean the good guys. Um, so you asked who's winning. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a, another interesting question to ponder here. And um, you know, does the game never end? And I know you mm-hmm. have a crystal ball section at the end, so maybe we'll yes. hold off for that. Yeah, we will but, talk about but, that. Now, go ahead. Bonnie, Who do I hear? Pra- yeah, Prakash. Uh, I just yes, wanted to please. add to that. Uh, this is a very mm-hmm. important topic. Uh, companies are always asking the question: uh, How do we approach this uh, from an organizational perspective in terms of bat- combating, preventing um, cyber attacks or any any fraud attacks? See, I always say this, um, you can have the best paint, you can have the best brush, but you need a wall to paint a mural. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, it is great. What does it mean, Prakash? Yeah, so what does that mean? That you can have involvement from, as Vince said, involvement from compliance, uh, audit, uh, and other areas are extremely important. But it has to be somebody's day job, not part-time, but day job, to monitor, detect uh, anomalies and things that are happening within an organization. So we, we strongly advocate an enterprise fraud group whose whole goal is to attack fraud and come up with a command and control structure involving all organizations that, um, and, and have the appropriate escalation procedures. And also have a staff on, uh, on, uh, on board who are experienced in investigating fraud. I mean, that's an important aspect of it. It's not mm-hmm. only the detection part, but investigation is important, the ability and the skills to use the new technology that's available. Somebody mentioned big data. It's extremely important that they have people on board who can combine data from disparate data sources. So all that is extremely important. So as a first step, every organization should start thinking about 
starting an enterprise fraud group. It could be a group where some people are dedicated to detecting fraud and also involve other organizations and, and establish an appropriate uh, command and control protocol as well. Prakash, I'd like to see the bonus structure for that. Yes, if you can get through the first year with no major fraud attacks and no outflow of money or identities or, or some kind of major fraudulent activity, we'll give you a certain bonus the second year if they haven't done so well. If you can get through six months with no fraud attacks, we'll give you a little bonus. And the third year would be, dang, can we just get through the quarter? Can you please protect us? I don't know how that would work, but it's an interesting thing. We we have covered a, a lot of territory in this first part of the roundtable, actually halfway through the roundtable table, believe it or not. What I'd like to do is turn to Michael Lortz at SAP and talk about uh, some notes Michael sent me on something called the fraud tree. You mentioned groups like the ACFE, and I'll ask you to describe them. We'll talk about the fraud tree and three main topics of fraud or fraud schemes, and and they are corruption, asset misappropriation, and financial statement fraud. And then you add, Michael, several categories of Internet fraud include hacking, investment and securities fraud, identity theft, and the list goes on and on and on. Michael, why don't you talk to us about the breadth and the depth of the types of fraud that we are that we want our listeners to be aware of. So go ahead. Yeah, we've already talked about this a bit here today, and, and you're right. Organizations like the uh, ACFE, which is Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, a group, group of professionals that are focused on fraud and fraud examination and, and prevention and detection, that they have their way of categorizing different fraud and fraud screen, scheme, schemes. Um, and, and you touched on, on the way they do that. They think about corruption asset mm-hmm. misappropriation and financial statement fraud. There are other ways of doing that. I, I like to think v- very simply as I'm explaining um, fraud schemes to somebody about something that I call primary and secondary fraud. And, and you could okay. also think of these as, as direct or indirect um, fraud scenarios. And, and I like to think of the, the primary or direct as, as when a fraudster attacks me or my business or my business process, my IT infrastructure, with the intent of gaining directly from me, basically interrupting my business and taking money from me. And then there's the secondary fraud schemes where somebody uses me as a launching off point. They they use my IT infrastructure or maybe even my business process uh, as a way to ultimately attack or steal from others. I think it's an interesting way to think about that. And if we go back to where did we see the original investments in fraud and fraud groups and fraud, fraud, fraud prevention, it, it was around these organizations that were directly uh, attacked. And, and we think about those. Those are people who's, uh, you know, are storing credit cards or maybe it's a business that regularly makes payments. They're in the business of making payments. The best example of that that I can give you is an insurance company or maybe the government who is in the business of actually writing checks, claim checks to individuals. Mm-hmm. Those type of organizations are, are subjected to what I'm calling here primary or direct fraud, um, and those are some of the organizations that saw the, the earliest investigative departments focused on detecting fraud and working to find ways to prevent it ultimately. Thank you. Great points, Michael. Uh, Vince Walton, what are you seeing at E&Y on what Michael's talking about? You know, you have me. You have me stumped on that. You know, with the the ACFE is a fantastic uh, organization, and you know, again, the, the the categories in the fraud tree that you described, Michael, are, are are so prevalent. It's so wide ranging in terms of where fraud schemes are happening, and really, it matters by industry, 
uh, you know, more, you know, depending on the industry, companies are more susceptible than others. You know, the topic today has been a really a lot of focus on the cyber side of the house, which I think mm-hmm. everybody is vulnerable to. Uh, but for large multinational co- corporations, you know, uh, global corruption is also a very hot topic, and the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is a hot topic. Um, whereas uh, other, perhaps smaller businesses, um, asset misappropriation and uh, theft of assets is is a key area. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Reflecting um, prior to uh, the, the early 2000s when Sarbanes-Oxley came into play, you know, financial misstatement was a very hot topic. And you go back and think about the days of Enron and WorldCom and those kind of things, um, where cooking the books was a hot topic. And we still see those things happening, but it's it's to a much lesser degree, I think, nowadays post Sarbanes-Oxley. So that was that, that had a big curving effect. Um, in reflecting on that, though, Bonnie, you know, you asked originally mm-hmm. um, in our discussions previously, you know, are the bad guys winning? Yes. And, and I, you know, and I, I spent some time thinking about that, and, and I don't know if they're winning because I've seen some improvements, um, but they're always going to be there. Um, and I think about a lot around bribery and corruption. Um, in fact, the keynote speaker at the ACFE in the Association of Cert- Certified Fraud Examiners um, he's on the cover of this week's or this month's Fraud Magazine, and uh, his, his name is uh, Dr. Peter Egan, who is the, uh, the chair of the Transparency International, which has a huge impact on uh, making, raising awareness on global corruption. And he, he was talking about in his article the fact that in the 90s, um, it was actually most of the European countries, it was a tax deduction. Bribery expenses were a tax deduction. Really? Yeah, you think about that. Back in the days, it was the norm to pay bribes. And um, nowadays, and through the work of just government activities, regulatory actions, and organizations like Transparency International, it was just a fascinating article. You know, you think about how much has changed since then. And, uh, you know, both in the 2000s and now in, in the 2010 decade, um, it just sounds totally unreasonable. But that was the norm back in the 90s. So, you know, the bad guys still might be winning in some cases, but I think that the tone has, changes, has changed. And as we look at cyber now, um, that is something that uh, the bad guys are really taking advantage of. And I think we're going to see more technology, more regulatory responses and stuff to, it, uh, to address that. I know that was kind of winded, but uh, that's my two cents. Vincent, no, Michael here. Pretty... You, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the fact that that bribery and corruption maybe have been rooted out of of I'll call them developed economies. I, I recently, as recently as last year, was speaking in a, a country that I won't necessarily name here, uh, over in Asia, um, and, and was talking about bribery and corruption and the the fact that so much had been done in certain parts of the world. And a gentleman approached me at the end of my presentation. Um, and, and told me that in his country, um, yeah, I, I was very much wrong. That that um, bribery and really, really corruption, I'll say, more so than bribery, I guess, um, uh, grease the wheels of commerce in many ways, and, and it is an expected practice. So it's it's interesting that we've seen development, but maybe not in in every corner of the world. True. Interesting. Prakash, anything on this? Or Mike Kosinog, before we go in a slightly different direction, we've got about six minutes left before break. Either one of you want to yeah, chime no, in this, here? This is Mike Kosinog. I, I mm-hmm. definitely want to hit upon the primary and secondary fraud schemes. I, Please I think do. a real important uh, aspect is understanding the primary is, you know, what can directly affect you, your company. 
But understanding the secondary fraud or cyber type type incidents is, is important as well. And uh, you really need to kind of focus on risk assessment and also your third parties, understanding the third parties out there and what they bring into your organization or through your organization that can have an impact on you is very key. You know, a lot of we see a lot of focus on third party risk assessment, building third party risk programs, monitoring your third parties from kind of a cyber or threat or fraud perspective is, is important. It's all about the extended enterprise and I think that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a key area that you need to focus on as well. Thank you. Prakash, anything on this? Go ahead. Yes, I'd like to add that uh, what Mike said is absolutely true. So if you look at this latest compromise that happened at a large retailer, uh, obviously everybody's learning from that and saying, okay, what what do we do to make sure our organization is safe? But what they don't realize is the impact that particular incident had, not just on that merchant, but on the uh, issuers around the world, on the card networks around the world, on the processors around the world. Everybody was uh, were, uh, was scrambling to see what was the impact going to be, how many accounts are going to be impacted, and so on. So it's not enough for an organization to be to ensure that they are safe, but they need to make sure whoever they are partnering with, whether it's a vendor, supplier, a network, etc., they need to make sure if that organization is impacted, how will they respond to that particular attack. Uh, and, and, and it's important that they have some kind of a fire drill, uh, a mock fire drill, if you will, that they do run through within the organization unannounced so to see how people react. I mean, it starts from command and control all the way down to, uh, to forensic investigation and data. So that it's extremely important that they conduct these fire drills within the organization. Interesting approach. Uh, thank you, Prakash. I have a question for the whole panel. I covered a little bit in my introduction about the bad guys and girls stealing our money and identities. And when I think of stealing identities, I think of consumer fraud, face-to-face, direct-to-direct, somebody's credit card, somebody's bank account. Uh, my question to the entire panel, anybody can take it, I hope you'll all chime in at least briefly, is, is there any intersection or convergence of what's happening in the consumer fraud area, particularly I'm interested in fraud schemes against seniors because they are a very, very vulnerable population, afraid to speak up, afraid to bring in the authorities, afraid to tell their families. They think it's either a great lottery they just hit and they're willing to pay taxes on it for years and bleed their life savings, or they think one of their relatives is in trouble and they're willing to to send money overseas to get somebody out of jail when that person is home safe and sound two towns away. So is there any intersection in the types of clever or maybe not so clever getting to be very routine, fraud schemes against the general population that should be informative to enterprises, to companies of all sizes in their developing fraud resistance and vigilance. Who would like to take that? Um, sure. This is Prakash. I'll start off. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, if you look at some of the past fraud trends, against seniors specifically, the whole um, Nigerian 419 scam mm-hmm. that came about. Yes. They duped the seniors not for money, but primarily for their bank accounts, so that they could use those bank accounts as mule accounts to launder money. So some of the seniors were, uh, unbeknownst to them, were involved in money laundering because their their accounts were used to uh, uh, launder uh, illicit money from different countries. That's number one. Number two, if you look at some of the uh, um, uh, account takeover issues that's happening in various organizations. 
I'll give you an example. Potentially, uh, a, um, a senior does not have a, an online account set up, uh, goes to a bank just to do face-to-face transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a rogue employee or a fraudster becomes aware of this and then sets up an online account with, those, with the uh, access credentials. So these, uh, the online account is then used by the cyber criminal uh, or the fraudster to siphon off money from the senior's account. So oh. these are, yeah. So these are things that can happen because they know that uh, seniors are not adept. Uh, I mean, not all of them, but some of them are not up to date with the new technologies, and therefore uh, they are ta- they take advantage of uh, seniors. So it's extremely important as companies roll out products that they are able to. Uh, help seniors understand what these products do and what they should be aware of. Um, an example would be any phishing emails that comes through, especially mm-hmm. uh, this happened last Christmas. Uh, my in-laws received a phishing email uh, saying that their packages were coming from another large online retailer. And why, who wouldn't open that email the night before Christmas? And it turns out it was a phishing email. So mm-hmm. people have to be really aware of uh, of uh, um, the services and the products that uh, companies have to be aware of their services and products. How cyber criminals could exploit them and attack certain segments of uh, of the company's popula- uh, customers. Yeah. Great, linking it back to awareness and protecting the consumer. Thank you, Prakash. I heard somebody else. Go ahead. And, and uh, this is Vince. I was going to. Pre- uh, Follow up on Prakash's note, and that you know there are some simple things, and it's funny we and many companies I think are going through training and educational just for all employees, um, regardless of age. Awareness is key, and there are some simple things that that you can do. One of the things I, I just had to go through this firm training just last week uh, on 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 the risks of just you know phishing and. Uh, and even what they described as spear phishing, which is targeted, <laughs> targeted uh, attempts on, on on cyber fraud, and there's things like what the what the training entailed, and some of the best practices are just simply, you know, being aware of um, the types of phishing schemes that come in. When you see people spoof corporate logos, that when you hover over the logo, you might mm-hmm. see a link that doesn't even have any, you know, that's that's different than the company name. Or seeing a you know a click here link that's different than the domain of the company that's allegedly you know or that's purported to to be sending to you, and those are the things you know certainly you don't want to click on those things. But th- that kind of awareness, uh, one of the, the the biggest ones that I that I've seen is that when the the un you know you think it's spam coming into your email box, so you click unsubscribe. Well, that activates the link or the 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 rogue program. So there's some really interesting awareness tips that are out there that I think companies need to look at for all their employees to go through that kind of training so that they're aware of the phishing schemes that come in that will, you know, eventually they will come into the email system, um, and you don't want anybody clicking on those PDFs or those executables or those links that could launch some kind of Trojan or other or the other type of virus. Very, very good points. Mike Kosanov or Michael Lortz, anything you want? I think we're just going to skip the break and go into the predictions round because we've got 11 minutes to close and you're just, there's so much to talk about. So we're just going to skip the break if that's okay with you. You didn't need a break anyway. Uh, Mike Kosanov, any thoughts on what we're talking about? Uh, the the yeah, intersection I, of consumer fraud to enterprise? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the whole example around the, you know, the uh, seniors and the consumer fraud, very similar, you know, type of activity with ransomware, malware, you, you find out there. There's, there's, there's recent malware that's been going around for the last number of years around, 
where you get infected and your computer gets locked up and you have to you, you have to actually pay through PayPal and some you know through different methods you know three hundred dollars or so just to get your data back. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's threats out there like that, very similar. What you're finding in all these cases is because of the dollar amount, hundred dollar, two hundred, three hundred dollar amount, people aren't aren't really you know um, reporting these things as much, or really you know you know they're they're actually just paying it. So the communication awareness piece is very very important. Data sharing is very important in in really getting to you know um, having people understand, being aware of these things. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, there's a large communication awareness component. Do this as well. Thank you, Mike. Michael Lortz, I'll give you one minute on this, and then we're going to go right into our predictions round because I can give you each two minutes apiece for your great prediction. So, Michael Lortz, thoughts on the intersection of consumer fraud and enterprise protection, awareness, whatever? Well, certainly the intersection is significant. I mean, these days, if, if we just look at one of the topics that we've discussed here today, the, the cyber fraud or cyber threat, it's very clear that many of the attacks that are taken out are, are against huge companies. Um, but ultimately, what the fraudsters are trying to get to is is our personal details, our credit card numbers, our bank account numbers. So, so the overlap is incredible. And if we just look at the most you know highly touted or, or highly publicized case most recently, this thing called Heartbleed, um, this is all about mm-hmm. launching an attack against um, against corporations that have a huge online presence and use this thing called called SSL that, that we all use to secure the traffic over the Internet. Anytime you type in HTTPS, you're basically using this. But, but ultimately what I think those fraudsters may be trying to get to that take advantage of it is to get to our personal details. So there, there's no doubt that um, you know the, these fingers of fraud all overlap one another and, and that you know an attack on a corporation um, back to this notion of indirect fraud may ultimately be trying to get to the details of a consumer, whether it's a senior or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Michael. You know what? We're right now in our crystal ball round, believe it or not. We skipped the break because this was too good a party for me to put a, put the brakes on. So let's turn to Prakash Santana. Prakash at Deloitte Financial Advisory Services. Why don't you tell, we've eight minutes to close. I need a minute. So why don't you give me about a 90 second predictions. If we met five years from today, or if you love the idea that hindsight's 2020, Prakash, you want to go six years, would we have anything more optimistic to say in terms of corporations getting their arms around fraud prevention, protection, resiliency, resistance, you name it? Talk to me. What do you see down the pike? Yeah, it's interesting because if you remember the, uh, the famous quote, everything that needs to be invented has been invented. I don't know who said it, but if you remember <laughs> that, it, that was totally wrong because as technology keeps changing, as products, new products are introduced into market, new demands are being created. Uh, so the same exact analogy is true for fraudsters. Uh, if, as, in, as we imp- uh, change, as the world changes, as new technology is being introduced into the market, as new products are being introduced into the market, there will be more opportunities and newer opportunities for cyber criminals to, uh, to, uh, to attack consumers or, or organizations. So as a result, we'll be playing catch-up, and that's my prediction. We'll always be playing catch-up. 
Thank you. And I have trivia for you, Charles. H. Duell, D-U-E-L-L, was commissioner of the U.S. Patent Office in 1899. His most famous attributed utterance is, quote, everything that can be invented has been invented. Most U.S. Pat- most patent attorneys have also heard that the quote is apocryphal. So we'll leave it to the, to the uh, trivia people to decide if it's true or not. Thank you, Prakash. I just wanted you to know I'm paying attention. Vince Walden, Ernst & Young's Fraud Investigative and Dispute Services Practice Predictions. Vince. Go ahead. Um, I think we'll see increased adoption in the use of uh, uh, of technology. We'll see big data expand. In fact, going back to the, the survey saw uh, that we conducted was really interesting. It said it found that 72% of companies uh, uh, surveyed said that big data technologies will play a key role in fraud prevention, prevention and detection. Yet only about 7% were aware of specific big data technologies like the SAP HANA's, uh, the in-memory type processing or Hadoop environments, and only 2% were actually using them. So there's a big gap of expectations versus actual use. And I think in the prediction over the next three, or actually one to five years, I think we'll see a lot more big data, which I think we'll, we'll stop calling it big data and it will just be the norm. So that's my prediction. Thank you very much, Mike. We're moving along here very quickly. We're going to have time for a bonus question. Mike Kosinog, partner in Deloitte's Audit and Enterprise Risk Services Practice. I'm multitasking. Go ahead, Mike. So, you know, from my perspective, kind of uh, taking from uh, Prakash and Vince, really, uh, you know, we won't be always uh, trying to get up the curve, but I think vigilance will be the key. By, uh, by, by the time period we're talking about, I think there's endless reports out there that say the market for fraud detection and prevention services, the world, you know, market for the technology will be 7.5 billion. Um, you know, so this will continue to be top of mind. I think a lot will be focused on technology. I think uh, there's, there's other research, there's other data that'll support that says, you know, companies maybe may have the technology purchased, but they're still mm-hmm. developing and, and adopting it. In one case, I saw research that said only 25% of large global companies will have adopted fraud analytics, fraud analytic technology for at least one security or fraud detection use case. However, they, they also said they'll achieve a positive return on investment within the first six months of implementation. That's only 25%, so this will continue to grow and scale over time. Well, that's um, scary. Know, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the companies are still developing. They're still, I think, um, working their way up through the technology. And there's a, there's a lot of advanced technology that, you know, that, that that's there. The incidents will continue to grow. They'll continue to be larger. I think, uh, you know, there'll be more material from a revenue loss perspective. And with that, I think the demand for the, you know, fraud detection and prevention solutions will continue to increase over time. Uh, these solutions not only decrease the possibilities of fraud, but also bring transparency. So I think you'll just continue to see the analytic and the preventative fraud solutions grow in scale and importance. I mean, that's, that, that will be the constant. And it fits back with the being secure. Being vigilant, which I think will be mm-hmm. the focus of these companies over the next number of years, is just staying vigilant, uh, but also having that focus on the resiliency piece. Thank you, Mike Kosanog at Deloitte and Michael Lortz, SAP's Global Governance, Risk, and Compliance Product Marketing Team Lead. Talk to me. What do you see in your crystal ball, Michael Lortz? Well, as I said before, it's an arms race, um, and I'm going to focus more on, on the good guys side here in my prediction. Um, as has already been alluded to, I think we'll continue to find new and interesting ways to use technology. Our approaches will advance over time as, as we engage in this arms race. Um, we'll know more about what the fraudsters are doing, but but I do think um, that we will be able to take advantage of technology to look 
for more and more indications of suspicious activity that may indeed be fraudulent. Um, what we see already happening, I think what will happen some more, and we will see companies, um, especially as it relates to their business processes and this notion of, of direct fraud against me, my company, and my business mm-hmm. processes, we will see um, a census-based approach. And by that, I mean people will start to, if they haven't already, start looking at every single transaction as opposed to just looking um, at a sample of those transactions. Um, yeah, you, you asked early on who's winning. I said it was a fraud race. Uh, it was an arms race. Um, I think the other really interesting question to ponder here is, does it ever end? Um, and as I said, we'll, we'll further the technology, find new ways to use technology. But the answer to that question is, does it ever end, is really yes, but only when we entirely get rid of money or we get rid of people. Um, so I think that it will continue <laughs> to escalate, um, and we will see this going on and on. Thank you very much. Michael Lortz, I have a quick question for you, and anybody can chime in, but with just a 10-second answer. What would your advice be to new companies, uh, the products of what we call our serial entrepreneurs who got startups that are starting with a small, lean, mean team who say, ah, there's nobody here. We trust everybody. Every, nobody would do any internal fraud. We're going to get trusted consultants to come in. We're immune to fraud because we're starting with good ethics and good values and a good core team. Are they subject to fraud, and what would your one sentence of advice be, Michael Lords, how they can make sure it doesn't happen to them. Talk well, to I've me. seen exactly that. Even in larger companies, my, my point would be that, yes, you're absolutely subjected to fraud, whether it's occupational fraud or, or third-party fraud from, from the outside, um, you absolutely are subjected to it. Thank you. You know what? We are out of time. We are out of time. But you know what? I'm talking to Michael Lortz in a couple of days about bringing this topic back on Coffee Break. So we're going to have Prakash and Mike and Vincent at the top of our guest list. So save those thoughts, gentlemen. Guess what? It's time for Bonnie's predictions. Tomorrow is Thursday. It's the future of business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. And then we take a break over the weekend. And Monday we come back with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesday is HR Trends with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific. And Wednesday I'll be right back here producing and hosting Coffee Break with Game Changers. Special thanks to my wonderful guests, Prakash Santana, Mike Kosinog, both at Deloitte, Vince Walden in New York at E&Y. Thank you, Michael Lortz at SAP. Thank you to Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP and Brad and the Business Channel team. And here's Bonnie's call to action. You know what it is, but you're going to do it anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Unless you already are, then just keep doing it. I'll see you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel for future events business with game changers 7 a.m pacific it's worth getting up early for have a great one bye bye thanks again for tuning in to coffee break with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap to keep the coffee break conversation going tweet your questions and comments to twitter hashtag pound sign sap r-a-d-i-o Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.